to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David continues our series on the story of David with a look at his fall from grace. Where do you need restoration in your life? Let's listen. How do you feel on Monday mornings? I know today's Sunday, but think about how you're going to feel tomorrow morning. Mondays can be kind of sluggish, can't they? Where you're like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm back to the routine. I'm back to either work or school or whatever it is, and you got to kind of get focused. And, and really, it can be helpful to have something wake you up on a Monday morning, can't it? Well, a couple of years ago, at a previous church I was serving, I had something wake me up on Monday morning. I, I came in, and I was groggy. I was a little tired from the weekend before, and I, I sat down at my desk, and I, I did a couple hours of, of sermon preparation, and and then I needed to go do a hospital visit. And so I grabbed my phone and I swiveled my chair and turned around and saw the last thing that I ever expected to see in my office. And lucky for you, I had my phone in my hand. So I took a picture of it. Here's what I saw. This is a snake. This is a snake sitting there in my office. If you need to get woken up on a Monday morning, that, that is how. And what I couldn't, you know, comprehend was that this thing must have been lurking behind me for those several hours that I was at work. I was completely oblivious to this snake's presence the entire time it was there in my office. Now, the reason I share this with you is not to say don't ever visit me, because that's a previous church. You can come and visit me in my office. But the reason I bring this up is I want this image of a snake lurking in the background, or temptation lurking in the background of your life to be one that you remember as we go through our scripture today. Uh, we've been studying King David's story, and up until this point, he has done a fantastic job of following God and being a man after God's own heart. But today, we read about one of the most dramatic falls from grace that we have in the Bible. Yeah, the story of David is going to teach us that no one is immune from making a massive mistake in their life. As we read, you might be reminded of a mistake you've made, but I do not want the topic of today's scripture to be guilt-inducing for you. That's not the point of what we're talking about. No, what we're doing is we're reading this story together to say what can we learn from it together, acknowledging that we're all in the process of being formed by God into the people that God wants us to be. That's the goal for today. And in David's story, we're going to track a couple of warning signs because they were warning signs for David that he was veering off the path, that he was heading down a path that would not lead to good outcomes, and he didn't see them. Or if he did see them, he ignored them. So I'm going to highlight the warning signs in his story so that we can apply them to our lives when we need them, to warn us if we are heading off the path. Here's how the story begins. We're picking it up in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says, in the spring, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. 
However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. So our story begins with some context. This story happens in the spring. And in this time period, oftentimes, if countries were at war, those wars would last for years and years and years. But they would kind of take the winters off. Because who would want to fight in the winter? It's not very good weather. And so they would wait. And then when spring would come, when everything was thawing out again, they would come back to the the battle lines, the, the front lines, and begin to fight again. So that's the context of our story. It is spring, but this particular spring, where is David? David is staying at home. In fact, when we see him, he's not only hanging back at the palace, but he's waking up from a midday nap, totally at leisure, while his men are off at war. So already, we should see that something is not right with this scene, which brings us to our first warning sign. David is isolated. He has removed himself from his community. Yes, how often do our poor choices first take root when we are isolated? When we are not around those who know us best and can point us back in the right direction. It is important to be immersed in a community, a community of people who truly know you and can help you even when you are struggling to know when things are not quite right. So if you find yourself intentionally distancing yourself from people who know you best, this may be a warning sign that's flashing in your life that encourages you to look inward and say, okay, emotionally, how am I doing? Is something off? Or why? What's the reason that I'm disconnecting from others? I mean, we probably all know a friend who began dating someone or was involved with a significant other, and then all of a sudden, they didn't hang out with the rest of their friends at all anymore. And we go, that's not good. That's a warning sign. David is isolated from his community. And the story goes on. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And he sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Again, up until this point in the story, in the whole series, and this is week six of the series, David has been a person that's been seeking to honor God with his life. He has been that person that is really following God with his heart. But obviously, something has changed in him, and he commits this unthinkable act against Bathsheba. And so we need to kind of lean in here and say, hmm, what has changed? What has changed in David? And we're not told explicitly from the scriptures. And so we can only make implications based on his actions. And I believe his actions appear to show a different attitude 
in David than we've seen previously. I mean, from his actions, it appears that his inner thoughts are something like, hey, I'm the king now, so I can do whatever I want. You know, no matter who it hurts or no matter what anybody else thinks. I'm the king now, and so I don't have to lead my men to war. I can stay at home in the palace taking naps while they are off fighting my battles for me. I'm the king now, and so I take what I want. If I see something, even if it doesn't belong to me, who's going to stop me? Which leads us to warning sign number two. David justifies his actions. He convinces himself he is right even when he is not. I mean, how many times... When you've done something that you know is not right, does your mind automatically begin to present to you reasons why, well, actually, it might be okay? And even if it's not okay, well, you know, this is how I can make an excuse for it, right? Our minds love to protect us, and so they justify, they rationalize. And when you find yourself wrestling internally, to justify your actions, this is a warning sign that chances are you're you're veering off the path. So isolation and justifying, David is not in a good place as we read his story today. Now we're skipping ahead a couple of verses because it's a lengthy story, but we find out Bathsheba is pregnant. And if Bathsheba is pregnant and her husband Uriah is off to war, Who's everybody going to point at? It's going to be pointed at David, isn't it? And so the story very quickly turns to David seeking to cover up his actions. It says, Then David sent word to Joab, and Joab's the military commander. Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him, how Joab and the army were getting along, and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. What is David's plan here? But why is he getting chummy with Bathsheba's husband, Uriah? Well, David believes that if Uriah goes home, even for one night, then when news begins to spread that Bathsheba is pregnant, the fingers are not going to point to David anymore, are they? They'll point to Uriah. They'll say, oh, well, Uriah came home for a night. That must be when Bathsheba became pregnant. How conniving. The only problem here is that Uriah doesn't go home. Uriah is a good man. He sleeps at the entrance to the palace, and the next day, David calls him back. And David confronts him. David says, why didn't you go home? And Uriah says, how could I? How could I go home when the army that I just came from are sleeping in the open fields? He says, I'm not going to sleep in my bed or have a nice dinner with my wife until all the other people in the military can do the same. Contrast Uriah's actions 
with those of David. I mean, David is happy to be napping on the couch while people fight for him, and Uriah won't even sleep in his bed until everyone can do the same. In that moment, David should be convicted. He should be convicted by witnessing Uriah's righteous actions. But instead, David digs deeper. David realizes that he cannot get away with this so easily, and so in his desperation, he does the unthinkable. It says, so the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. David, in a desperate attempt to cover up his rape of Bathsheba, now conspires with his military commander to commit murder of an honorable man. As David writes down these instructions to Job, he gives them to Uriah, and then we realize that Uriah, delivering that message, is literally delivering his own death warrant. That is how bad this story has gotten. This is the lowest of the low. Which brings us to warning sign number three. David keeps digging. He does not take the opportunity to repent or turn back. Yes, David stoops to a level that many of us would not have thought possible when we started this series six weeks ago to cover up his sin. And often, when we are confronted with something that we know we did wrong, we have an opportunity. In that moment, don't we? We have an opportunity to apologize, to repent, to make things right. There is an off-ramp right at that initial confrontation. Or we can double down. We can keep digging. Those are the options before us. And so David had those options. In that moment, he could have said, you're right. I'm going to swallow my pride. I'm going to admit what I did, and I'm going to then accept whatever consequence is waiting for me. Or David could have simply ended up doing something worse by trying to cover up his initial bad action. And that's what we find out that he does. So Uriah is sent to the front lines. And then everybody else pulls back. And Uriah, along with several other people, are killed. David's deed is done. And at this point in the story, it looks like his secret is safe. It looks like no one's going to find out about his adultery with Bathsheba. I mean, David must be pretty relieved at this point because uh, it looks like the powerful are going to win, like David is going to get away with it. And he really might have, right? Because who is left to confront him about his actions or to bring the most powerful person in the country to, to justice? No one except the last line, the last line in this chapter, which states this, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. I think that's so great. That's so great because this is the first time that God has been mentioned the entire story. Uh, up until this point, 
It's all about what David wants and what David desires and what David is willing to do to preserve his reputation. But throughout it all, David somehow forgot that the same God who brought him from shepherd to king, the same God who anointed him at the age of 10 and then blessed him as he became king at the age of 30, that same God didn't suddenly disappear. No, David is ignoring God, but God is not ignoring David. Which brings us to our fourth and final warning sign. David ignores God. He closes his mind to God. Yes, when we are lost in our own misdeeds, we'll often block out any mention of God in our thoughts. We might stop attending church, or we might stop attending uh, those Christian friends and circles and those opportunities to get around them. All of these are warning signs that something is not quite right in us, and something is not right in David's heart. He has committed adultery. He has committed murder. But what we're about to learn is that God is a God of justice, and God is going to make things right. And so God sends a prophet. The prophet in this time period, the ones who speak for God, God sends the prophet Nathan to confront David, and that's exactly what Nathan does. Nathan goes to David and tells David how upset God is over his abuse of power, over the ways he's used his kingship, over what he's done to Bathsheba and Uriah. Nathan's exact words are, Why did you despise the word of the Lord and do what was evil in God's eyes? So David, for the first time in the story, comes face to face with his own failing. And finally, he is driven to repentance. Believe it or not, we actually have the prayer that David wrote after he was confronted by Nathan and really confronted by God. It is Psalm 51, and it's a prayer that David wrote that is raw, and it is real, as he begins reflecting on all that's gone wrong in his life. I want to read a large portion of this psalm today, because in it, you're going to see what genuine repentance looks like. Because those times when we've made mistakes, uh, it can be hard to really ask for forgiveness. It, it can be so hard to intentionally work to make things right again. But David, in and now his complete brokenness, shows us a model of how to do that. Psalm 51 says this. It says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Here are David's words. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. So how does the psalm begin? It begins by David falling down at God's feet and pleading for mercy. He's no longer trying to hide or trying to justify his actions. He just lays it all out before God. 
And I believe this is the first step to repentance. We must fully acknowledge our mistakes, as painful as that can be, and ask for forgiveness, both from the person that we hurt and from God. And then it's after we've acknowledged the pain that we have created that we can go to God and ask for transformation from the inside out. Now, we're going to skip ahead a couple of verses, but I encourage you, go home, read the entirety of this psalm. It is beautiful. But he begins talking about transformation, and he says to God, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Yes, David knows that he is not pure and that he needs God's transforming work within him if he's going to once again have a pure heart. And this is not going to happen overnight. I mean, this is a lifelong process that David is in. And if you read the rest of David's story, what you find out are that the actions he committed today negatively affect his family for several generations. Yes, his actions have profound consequences. But what David's story is teaching us And I think why it's still included here in the Bible is it's reminding us that no matter how bad things have been, you can always go to God and begin that process of becoming new again. I mean, notice the words that David used here, I think very intentionally. He says, create in me, restore to me, create, restore. These are transforming words meaning that David is no longer ignoring God. David is relying on God. So let's review for a second these four warning signs, because there may be signs that something's not right in our hearts. The signs are, are you isolated from your community? Are you justifying your actions? Do you keep digging instead of apologizing? And are you ignoring God? None of these questions are easy to answer honestly, are they? But when you do, that's the first step to then going to God, laying it all out and seeking transformation of the heart that needs to take place. David's story is not easy to read. I was talking with our Bible study on Wednesday, and I said, why was this included in our Bibles? Because if you were simply seeking to show David as as kind of a hero of the faith, you would have just avoided and ignored this whole story. You would not have included it in our Bibles, but it was included. And I think it was included for a reason. This story is an example for us, an example that we can learn from, so that hopefully we don't get so far down the path like David did. But we can identify these warning signs early, so that we can veer back on the path quickly. Because this story is pleading with us to stop digging, to stop running, and to turn to God, who will restore. And so what I want you to to realize today 
is that all of us make mistakes. And when you do, as soon as you realize it, you can bring those mistakes, those faults, those failures directly to God who wants to restore the relationship. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.